Amen. Welcome today to Christian Family Fellowship. He is alive and I'm just going to say it, when they started playing that last song, Forever, I was crying like a little baby up here, and I don't cry, all right? My wife says I have no emotions sometimes, but um, I was just thinking about the King of Jesus and all, all that He is and all that He's done, and um, I know that's why we're gathered here today. You're not gathered because of me or because of our worship team. You're gathered because of Jesus. Now, we're going to do a couple things. Um, the children will be in the back doing their activities outside. Like we said, winter was seven months, so we want to have them outside and enjoying. Um, I have four kids, so I can ignore the screams, so some of y'all are going to have to try, okay? Because I don't even hear them anymore. They just sit back there and scream and fuss and whine. So kids, you can go back there, and um, you can get ready. Uh, we have a fellowship afterwards. We have some ham and some chicken and some macaroni and cheese and potato salad and some pies. You're welcome to stay with us and eat and hang out. It'll take a couple minutes to uh, get it ready. We'll have to bring it across the street. We could use your help. But also, if you have other plans with your family, we understand. So don't feel like you'd be hurting our feelings. We're just glad that you're here. Um, like I said, we are gathered here today because Jesus rose from the dead, and that is a big deal. And so that is what we're going to talk about today. You know, sometimes I feel like preachers, people that are teaching, we have to come up with something new and I really have nothing new I only know one thing is that that man Jesus rose from the grave he walked out of that tomb and um, so we're just going to talk about that because I know that's the reason why you're here we've also been going through the book of Mark and so we're actually ending our series on Mark with the last couple chapters of Mark where he died and where he rose again and so if you guys have your Bibles you can open up to Mark chapter 15 and 16 we're going to be going we'll start in 15 obviously but we're going to be going through that but I want to just make an opening of of the way sometimes how we, we see Jesus and it relates to food because I'm a big food guy. I like food. Food is my friend. Okay. Sometimes I eat too much food, but I was picturing the way we see Jesus kind of like if you go to one of those buffet restaurants. And if you're like me, when you go to the buffet restaurant, you grab your plate. And one way we see Jesus is he's kind of like the vegetables that you have to put on your plate. All right. Now, why do I say you have to put on your plate? Me, I don't like vegetables, I'm going to be honest. And um, when I go to a restaurant like that, I want steak, I want cookies, and I want ice cream. And, you know, but I realize that as a grown man, if I walk back to the table with just that, people look at me strange. So you always try to put something healthy on the plate, even though you're not going to use it. My kids, we walk through the buffet line. If it was up to them, it's the pizza and it's the ice cream and the cookies. And we're trying to say, no, you got to put that on because that's good for you. So you take, you know, we're trying to teach them the way they should go and train them up the right way. And so you take a little bit of vegetables there, even though you may not even eat them when you get back to the table. You know, you may not even want them. At least my kids, they're scraping them around and they're saying, Daddy, I'm done. Can I go get something else? Sometimes we treat Jesus like that. It's something you have to have in your life. But it's really not that cool, it's really not that fun, but we gotta have him. He's the vegetables that have some vitamins. Other people, we treat Jesus, in my opinion, we treat him like he's the, the main course. 
Like when you go to the restaurant, if you get if you get your steak, if that's what you're hitting up the buffet for, it's your steak. It's the main thing. But then you can put anything else around the steak, anything else that you want, whether it's healthy or not, greasy or not, fatty or not. Um, as long as you got the steak and something that's that's kind of healthy, a nice lean piece of meat that's on there, uh, you could just fill up anything else. And and some of us we treat Jesus like. Like, as long as we got him, everything else doesn't really matter. You know what I'm saying? And, and, um, but the way I think that we should treat Jesus is not that he's like the vegetables. And not that he's like the main course that we have to have, but then we can put other things around it. Is really Jesus is the plate. I want you to think about when I go to the buffet, the first thing I look for is where do they stack those plates? If they're not handing me a plate when I go up there, I'm looking for them. Why? Because I walk by that tray of, of food and I want to grab some fries. Just grab them with my hand, but I'm an adult. I can't do that. You know what I'm saying? I want to just palm some steak and walk to the table with it, but I know that would look foolish. I want to go to the ice cream thing and kind of just put my mouth underneath it sometimes. But I know that, that you have to have a plate because that's what gives you access. It's proven that the price is paid and that you have access. And really, Jesus, Jesus is our plate. He's not the main course. He's not the side. He's what makes life worth living. You're not going to have the fullness of your marriage without that plate. Your family, you'll have a family, but it won't be what it needs to be without that plate. Yeah, you can sneak by the buffet and grab hands full of things, but eventually you'll get kicked out. I'm saying you need to have a plate. You need to have something that gives you access. And so in talking about Jesus' death and resurrection, I think that, that we need to realize that he is king. If there's one thing we've been talking about a lot in Mark, it's that Jesus is king. He is the Lord. He is in charge. If you worship Jesus as only your Savior, that's making him too small. He is able to be our Savior because he's our king who defeated everything. Satan, sickness, wind, waves, doubt, disease, social injustice, poverty, even the grave. Jesus is king, and that's the only reason he can save. And don't worship him as our Savior if you're not serving him as your king. You know, God as king doesn't ask us to give him our best. He asks for everything. Don't just give Jesus your best. He really wants everything. And that kind of makes it freeing because there's some parts of us that are good, that we give and we're made in the image of God and we lay them down and they're good. There's good in all of us. But there's a lot of parts that are not good in all of us. There's a lot of parts that are messed up in all of us. And Jesus doesn't want you just to give him your best. Don't just give it a good try. He's king and he wants everything. Now, when we get to Mark, we read several things that prove that Jesus is king. Now, I'm going to go all over 15 and 16, and so I'm going to ask you, as you have your Bible, you can try to follow along where I'm at, but you can also go home and read it on your own, and I think God will do something. First of all, I see that he's king because he is abandoned and sold out by his friends. I want you to think about that. He is sold out by his friends, and yet he still goes through with the cross. It's one thing to be sold out by somebody you don't like, but the people that you really like, your family, when they turn their back on you, that hurts. One guy even left running through the groves naked 
And Jesus still went through with this thing. Second, he was betrayed with a kiss. Judas comes up to him and betrays Jesus with a kiss. Oh, Savior. I would have jacked him in the jaw. If Judas is that close to you and he's betraying you and he comes up and as the savior, the king, he knew it was going to happen. He lets this man come up and put his scruffy beard on his face and get this fake love and betray him with a kiss. He was close enough to just, what are you doing, man? You're so fake. You're full of it. Third, he heals the ear of the guy who's arresting him. Peter cuts off the guy's ear. It's laying there on the floor and Jesus heals that guy's ear. I'll tell you, even if I'm not fighting back, I'm not healing the ear. I'm not doing it. The ear's on the floor and I'm just... I'm not going to heal the guy who's hurting me. I'm saying he could have acted like, no, I'm tied up, guys. Sorry, nothing I can do. I'm a little bit busy here. But the love that he shows is not only does he go through at the cross, but he heals the guy who's taking him there. It would have been very easy to be like, oh, sorry. Mm, not much I can do now. I'm a little busy. But what love does he show that he hears, heals the ear of the guy who's taking him there? Fourth, he keeps his mouth closed. This is the mouth that created the world. This is the mouth that in Revelation comes back and lays the smack down on the Antichrist. This is a mouth that is very powerful. And he's standing before the Jews and he's standing before Pilate and they're questioning him. I want you to picture the Lord of all being questioned. The one who spoke the earth into existence being questioned. The one who when he comes back at the end destroys them by the word of his mouth and he keeps his mouth closed. I would have done some talking. I would have had some words to say, but if Jesus would have even spoken anything, they could have been destroyed. I would have been real sarcastic at that moment. Fifth, now this is the part that really gets me. They blindfold him, they spit on him, they punch him, and as they're punching him, they're saying, who hit you, Jesus? Prophesy. And he keeps his mouth closed. I would have answered him. I would have been like, this is your name, this is where you live, this is your family's name, and here are your three darkest sins. Put them on the spot right there, put them on blast right there. I would, have, I would have come forward with all that information and, well, they asked me to prophesy. I didn't do anything wrong. It would have been really easy to turn their request into something that would have hurt them, to shame them, to embarrass them. But he sits there and he takes it. Second, he's rejected by the crowd. The crowd, bring, they bring up a murderer, and they bring up Jesus, and the crowd picks the murderer over Jesus. It's like the ultimate getting picked last scenario. You know, it's one thing when your friends turn your back on you, but when you go to the park, or when you go somewhere to play, and you're little, and you're the last one picked, or you're not even picked, they're like, oh, we got enough people now, you can keep score. It's the ultimate, the crowd that was just shouting his praise turns their back and asks for this murderer to be given. Seventh, and this is another thing, because Jesus is king. There was no other reason he died but because he said he was king. When the Jews were questioning him and trying to figure out, well, we got him now, Judas betrayed him, we have him tied up, how can we kill him? The one thing they came down to is they said, are you the Messiah, are you the king? And he says, I am. And what they do to mock him once the, the Romans get him is they put him in a purple robe, 
They put a crown of thorns, not little thorns, but big thorns on his head. And they hit him in the head with a reed. That would hurt. They hit him in the head with a reed right on that crown of thorns. And then they bow down in front of him. And they're saying, oh, hail King Jesus, King of the Jews. And he sits there with all the power of the universe and takes it. Eyes swollen shut. He could have stopped it at any moment. He could have said, enough is enough. My friends left me. My friend betrayed me. He's embarrassed. The crowd rejected him. God, it's not even worth it. I'm just, this is, this is ridiculous. And, and to me, if there's anything of the resurrection, if there's anything of the crucifixion that gets me, is of the Roman soldiers bowing before him, saluting him, and it says they were spitting on him as they bowed. Oh man, you spit on me, something unholy rises up. But there was nothing unholy in him. Eight, they take him to the cross and they nail him on the cross, which is a completely embarrassing thing to do. He's naked, he's hammered to a piece of wood, he's sweating and he's, he's dripping blood and he's oozing. And they're shouting to him, why don't you come down off that cross? That would have been my cue. Okay, done. You want me down? Fine. It's not worth it. I would have come straight down off that cross. He saved others. Let him save himself. See, the, the, the idea of the cross is that you're completely naked, completely embarrassed, and made an example of somebody that would come against Rome. I went on the internet last night, and I'm not suggesting to do this, but I just started looking at some different things, and there was actually a recent crucifixion in Yemen of like a real person. This was not like Passion of the Christ, where it's an actor. This was somebody who was a spy in Yemen, and his body was actually hanging on a cross. I wouldn't say go look it up, because it's pretty nasty, but as I sat there, I thought, well, this is what we believe, that Jesus was killed, and I saw this body sitting there bloated, and the, the, the dripping underneath of it, and it panned down to the concrete, and he was held up high, because that's a sign that Rome was in charge, and we are in control. And Jesus just hung there as they mock him and they say, come down off the cross. Ninth, he sings a psalm and we miss this a lot. He says, oh my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we get a point, we think that God had forsaken him and God had left him, but he was singing Psalm 22, which was a psalm that could have, was possibly or was often sung around that time. Now, you've got to remember, we hear that and it doesn't register in our ears. But when you hear certain song lyrics, the words come back to you. If I were to hum the first few lines of the Star Spangled Banner, you could probably follow along. If I give you the first few words of Happy Birthday, a song that you know, you could pick it up. If I start singing Amazing Grace, and I'm a horrible singer, but if I was to try that, you could probably pick up and you would know where the song went. Psalm 22 starts with David singing about being forsaken by God. But then it ends with, but you have heard my cry. And now I'm going to be the king, the king of the nations. And as Jesus was sing, singing these words, it was the one who was afflicted was not abandoned. 
Though he hung on the cross, you can go and read Psalm 22. He knew that he would become the king of the nations and that somehow this was the way that God had chosen to make him king. Complete humility, complete service. When he was scourged, that was, that was only reserved for slaves. He hung there. Completely exposed, completely naked so that we could be completely covered. He went down to the lowest place and God would lift him to the highest place. The cross is what we believe. I mean, there's, there's no easy answers. The cross is what we believe. We believe that somehow he died on the cross. Lots of people died on the cross, but he also rose again, which is what makes him different. And you read the stories of the Gospels, and if, if they were made up, the disciples would have looked a lot better. Because if I was making up a story about Jesus being crucified, I would have, instead of, you know, Mark was Peter's account of what he remembered. Mark was his interpreter. And so when Peter remembered things, Mark wrote them down. As Peter spoke them, Mark remembered them and wrote them down. But when you read of Peter in the Gospel, and while Jesus is being beaten, whipped, Peter is, is being afraid of a little girl. A little girl says, hey, you're one of his followers. And Peter says, no, I'm not. And they pick up his accent. They say, no, you, you, you're a Galilean. I can hear it in your voice. No, I'm not. And Peter bursts into tears and runs away crying. If it was made up, I would have been like, yeah, well, while they were crucifying him, 200 soldiers had me locked down. I was trying to get there, um, but the soldiers had me locked down, and I was in prison, and they were beating me too. And, and I was going to get there, and I was going to stop it, but I couldn't do it. I wouldn't be embarrassed in front of a little girl. And then we read about Jesus getting out of the tomb. He didn't limp out of the tomb. He walked out of the tomb. If he didn't get out, sin would have won, but it didn't. Sin would have been too great for anyone if he couldn't beat it. We would have been out of luck if Jesus never got out of that tomb. But we read early in the morning, a woman gets up with no plan but a lot of passion. Thank God for women. A woman gets out of bed and goes to the tomb, and as she's walking there with her spices, she starts to say, oh man, how am I going to get that rock out of the way? She had left the house, and it hadn't even been a worry for her. She just said, I got to get there. I got to see Jesus. I got to embalm him. I got I to gotta cover him with these spices. And as she's walking there in the early morning while it's still dark, she starts to think, well, there's a big rock, and it's very heavy. But thank God for women that take crazy risks. And she gets there. She, the stone is moved away. The angel's in there. And she becomes the first, the first evangelist, the first preacher. She goes back and she tells the disciples, and they don't believe her. Two other disciples are walking down the road. And Jesus is, all of a sudden appears there walking with him. And they barely recognize him until the end when they start to serve him. You see, they didn't recognize him, so to, him, to them he was a stranger. And they began to serve the stranger because it wasn't, it wasn't easy to get along back then. So they had rules that if you found a stranger, you cared for them. Imagine walking without a cell phone, 
without a bank account, without a debit card, and you're in a completely different world, a completely different area, you would have to depend on those people in that area to care for you if you didn't have family there, if you didn't have friends there. And so here they meet this stranger and they're walking and they, they start to serve him and they give him a meal. They say, well, come in, come inside and eat with us. And all of a sudden they realize that it was Jesus. And they go back and tell the disciples. And the disciples still don't believe. Eventually they're locked up in a room and Jesus appears to them and shows them the truth. In one translation, a translation I just picked up, it says Jesus, it literally says this and I thought it was awesome. We read Jesus appeared and rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart. But when he translated it, he said, Jesus went off on them for his unbelief and hardness of heart. Because that's what rebuke means. Jesus was not happy. He went off. He's like, I told you so many times I was going to die and raise again. In fact, you read through Mark and he was constantly telling them, I'm going to die, but on the third day I'm going to be raised again. They didn't hear it went right over their head. Just like us, we hear this story about the, the king dying on the cross and our sins being forgiven and heaven being open to us. And it just goes like this, boom. Yeah, okay, Jesus, but, but whatever. And finally he appears and he goes off on them. He rebukes them for their unbelief and says, why don't you believe? He even lets Thomas touch them and they, they start to believe. See, at dawn, a new day came. You got to hear this symbolism because we miss it because we weren't raised with Bible stories in our minds the way they were raised. The last chapter of Mark talks about early in the morning, a new day, the first day of the week, a new creation was started. Jesus is found there, and he looks like a gardener to Mary Magdalene. He looks like a gardener, like Adam, the first gardener. A new creation, a new race, a new people were being born. He sends Mary back to, to share the word. She was excited. She was seeking God. She had come there early in the morning to seek God, and he will always show up when you seek him. Later, he finds two people. And they were serving the stranger, they were serving the helpless, and they found Jesus. Matthew 25 is clear, when you help those in need, Jesus becomes real to you. Read it. Read Matthew 25, visiting those in prison, caring for the sick, clothing those without clothes. It, it opens up our hearts to Jesus. We see Jesus differently when we care for people who can't do anything back to us. So you had those guys who were seeking you had Mary, Mary who was seeking, those guys who were serving, and then you had the disciples who were just kind of sitting there. Weren't really looking for him, weren't really interested in him, kind of thought the whole thing had fallen down, and that's where some of us are too, is that's how good God is, because not everybody seeks God. Not everybody cares about him. Not everybody serves the helpless. And somehow, God shows up to them anyway. Jesus came and he showed up to the disciples and he said, this is for real. I am king. And he tells them, go out into all the world and share this good news. Good news is a word about a kingdom. Share this message of the kingdom. Everybody who's baptized or becomes a part of this kingdom life and believes will be saved. And then he says a few things. He talks about 
going out and picking up serpents. I ain't going to pick up no serpent unless I actually have to. I'm probably kicking it or hitting it with a stick before I ever pick it up. But he says this thing and, and it passes over in our mind. But it, to me, if you go with the new day, the new dawn, Jesus being like a gardener, the new Adam, the new creation, and then you talk about picking up serpents, it all kind of flows together. And what did Satan come and tell Adam and Eve? He came and said, God is keeping something back from you. God is keeping something back. That fruit, that thing hanging on the tree, God is keeping it from you. He's keeping it for himself. It's hanging there. Go take it. Go and eat. But on the cross, God left something hanging on the tree that says, I'm holding nothing back from you. I'm giving you everything I can give. I'm holding nothing back. Eat from that fruit and then go. See, Satan had it backwards. He's trying to pretend like God didn't love us enough, that he had something secret and kept from us. But Jesus hung there all exposed and said, this is all I've got. My last breath. And I'm giving it to you. Eat and then go. Partake of Christ and become part of this new kingdom, this new life. You see, if you leave it as a message of purely salvation, you're missing the fact that he's king. The Bible says that miracles happened. As they went out, miracles happened. Miracles happen here on earth when we acknowledge that he is king up there. When you acknowledge that he's king up there, sometimes he shows up and he changes things down here on our behalf. We don't know why, we don't know how, but as we follow the king, he shows up and he does king stuff. He's still the Lord of sickness and Satan and disease. They drove out demons. They, the, the enemy couldn't stand against them. They picked up serpents. And when the Satan came and lied to them and said, God doesn't love you. He's holding something back from you. They were able to pick up that serpent and just throw it away and say, no, Jesus showed me God's holding nothing back. And when you start talking about him being king and you start living like he's king, he's going to do king stuff. So here's a message today. It's, it's a proclamation. It's Jesus is king whether we like it or not. There's not a choice. There's not make him king of your life because he is king. You're either in rebellion or you're in service. And the most beautiful thing, he's not saying give him your best, give him your good parts, give him, give him what you can do. He's saying give him everything. Bring him your hate, bring him your bitterness, bring him your sin, bring him your unforgiveness, bring him your talent, bring him your kindness, bring him your family, bring him your enemies, bring him everything you've got and put it underneath the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Because he's king. Christ is the word Messiah, which is a word loaded with king. It's not Jesus Christ like Chris Martinez. King Jesus. That'd be another way to translate that. King Jesus. King. He's king. He rules. And so I wanted to give you an opportunity to think about that. Because it doesn't matter whether you know it or whether you like it. He's king, but now you know it. And he's a good king. Because he's done it all. He's done everything we've needed. Healing, mercy, forgiveness, peace, 
were all purchased there on the cross. And we're going to end right now. So I'm going to invite you guys to come back up here. I know Jonathan is, is over there playing with the kids. But we are going to have one more time of, of worship before we close here. And as Cynthia is bringing this up, here is, is communion. And I'm going to invite all of you guys that are here that would like to partake of communion. If you believe in Jesus, it is open to you because the body of Christ hung there for everybody. In fact, one of the things in Mark, and you can just put that right up here, Cynthia, that'd be okay. One of the things in Mark I love is, do you know who the first person after Jesus died to realize that he was king was? It wasn't Mary, it wasn't the disciples, it was a Roman soldier. An unclean Gentile sat there and said, surely this was the Son of God. And it shows that there's no room for, for favorites. We're all equal. His disciples missed it. They're out there hiding. One of them was running through a grove naked. And this wicked Roman guy realized who he was as he hung there on that cross. So as they play this song, and we're going to, um, the forever song again, they're going to sing that song. I'm going to invite everyone right now to stand up with me. And as they play this song, feel free to come up here and grab your elements, and then we will, we will take communion together.